Hello, Sublation Media viewers. I wanted to start out this video by warning you that Chris had some bandwidth issues, and this video, therefore, is choppy. There's some glitches, especially in the video part on Chris's side. He's, he sometimes freezes uh, or glitches, and um, I wanted to apologize for that technical problem with this video from the start, but also to tell you that the audio is pretty good throughout, and it's well worth listening to. Um, there will be a podcast version available uh, on the Diet Soap feed, and also you can just listen to it on YouTube, So, uh, and you can watch it. Um, but the, the point is, I think there's a lot of very good content here, and I hope you enjoy this issue or this edition of the Catron Zone. So thanks for watching. And the progressives can change. In other words, like, in the 30s, the progressives were the industrial capitalists and the reactionaries were the uh, financiers. But maybe today the financiers are the progressives and the, uh, you know, legacy, like, industrial capitalists, uh, the national capitalists are the reactionaries, whereas the global financiers are the progressives. I don't know. Yeah, plausible, isn't it? Yeah, I think yeah, at the moment no one's quite sure. At the moment, the left isn't sure. Right. <laughs> and um, I just feel like, actually, we don't need to make these determinations. We actually don't need to choose like that. All right, Sublation Media fans, it's that time of week again. Yeah, we're going to be talking to Catron Zone with the last Marxist genius. Uh contrarian maybe certainly rabble rouser chris catron <laughs> um we're gonna be talking about the dictatorship of Hi the there. proletariat and the death of the left today hi um so you know i i want to go over the ideas in your article um i think i've read this before I've, I've looked at it again today but um before we jump right into the dictatorship of the proletariat i want to tell you i've come up with um thumbnail that people have seen for this video and unless i change it between now and then it says uh do we want a dictatorship of the deplorables <clears throat> and ah. and um right. because i thought that might um be more mm -hmm. clickable capture something yeah, yeah. oh yeah ca I mean, capture, it something. capture something and <clears throat> today by coincidence a few of my patrons have been challenging what I said in the last stream about the trucker convoy, which uh, was just that it right. was a working class movement that the, the left failed to take up. And, um, and I was, I've been told, you know, I don't know all of the details about the leadership of the trucker convoy. I'm not in Ottawa. They're going to get into sociology with you. Are they really workers? They did that. But before that, they just said, Look, the organizers were one of them was a white nationalist. It was a nationalist project. They were terrorizing the people of Ottawa <clears throat> and on and on. And um God. And, and so, well, my response to that was to say Black Lives Matter, you know, were was violent and chaotic and out of control for months in down down Portland. <clears throat> And I wouldn't judge the fact that the unorganized 
spontaneous protests, if they were such a thing, you know, that was for being chaotic and and including really a lot of, I would say, lumpen people after a certain point. You had people who were homeless. The notorious yeah. lumpen. Yeah. Right. Um so uh well you know the lumpen for a lot of people on the, the lumpen character might be its proletarian character. Well, let's talk about that. What when you talk about the dictatorship of the proletariat, do you mean the the take dictatorship of the lumpen? <clears throat> or if I say the dictatorship of the deplorables, am I talking about the lumpen? What what do you think? You might be talking about the lumpen bourgeoisie, right? Or the lumpen petty bourgeoisie, because people will say that the Trump voters are just your kind of D class A. They're basically your middle class people who have either lost status or are in danger of losing status. Right? Because that's a term from Marx too. There is a lumpen bourgeoisie too. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, and so, you know, these these terms are not terribly important for Marx. You know, lumpen proletariat. Um, you know, it is a sort of a, a, a trash bin category, you know, mm -hmm. we'll kind of throw them into the lumpen proletariat. Um, it's not like a very rigorous category, because what's the difference between the lumpen proletariat and the surplus army of labor? Right? Well, maybe um, the lumpen then he'll also are permanently say the unemployed. Is that maybe what the difference is, that the lumpen are a category of the permanently unemployed? Unclear. Unclear, are they the Lazarus layer of the working class, right? Because he has various different descriptive ways of talking about it. Um, and the lumpen proletariat is, of course, very similar to the way he describes the peasantry as homologous magnitudes, right? So meaning the sack of potatoes, they're all the same and you just lump them together, right? So part of the lumpen proletarian character of the lumpen proletariat is it's disorganized character in other mm -hmm. words it's not it doesn't have like the discipline of a political mission it's not like the workers movement for socialism it's just workers pell-mell mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. basket of deplorables you know in other words like that 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 is you know hillary clinton has read her marks let's not let's never forget that they've all read their marks every one of them mm -hmm. right um, and so when she comes up with basket of deplorables, and I'm sure that she herself didn't even come up with that. She probably has speech writers and those people have definitely read Marx mm -hmm. and they weren't, weren't trying to be Marxist, but you know, these thought figures get in your head, you know, mm -hmm. and the sack of potatoes, basket of deplorables, yeah, you know, kind of rings mm -hmm. true, you know, mm -hmm. um, and you know, Bonapartism and fascism and, you know, certainly people thought that. The lumpen proletariat, as well as the petty bourgeoisie, were the constituency for fascism. Let's not mm. forget that, right? Marxists also said the lumpen proletariat was fascist. Mm -hmm. Marxists of all stripes, Stalinists, Trotskyists, whomever, general general Marxists, and you know, left comms, they would have said the workers who support the fascists are the lumpen. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't mean homeless. They would mean disorganized. Mm -hmm. In other words, they wouldn't mean the utterly destitute. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, right. I thought, yeah, Black Lives Matter 
the working class has, I mean, excuse me, the, the left has no problem saying that Black Lives Matter is working class and proletarian in character. They have no problem with that. They don't pause on that. They would never dispute that. It's only if you call the trucker convoy working class that people dispute it. And I think that that just shows that they're only disputing it on political ideological grounds. They're not really seriously looking at it at a social or socioeconomic level. They might bring those things in, but they're not really concerned with that. They just think Black Lives Matter good, trucker convoy bad. That's all they're Mm -hmm. thinking, (laughs) right? Well, yeah, so my thoughts about this is that in fact the black lives matter protests and and in their inception were proletarian maybe lumpen but proletarian disorganized spontaneous um but that quickly the protest was ta- was taken up by petite bourgeois elements and that right. the right. demands of the Black Lives Matter movement, and by the way, I'm talking about after the murder of George Floyd. There are different Black Lives Matter. I mean, it's a completely different thing after. There George are Floyd. the original, the, ori- the original, like Patrice Color, you know, kind of Alicia Garza. The original Black Lives Matter, we could also say, is like petty bourgeois PMC types. Right, but that's why I'm distinguishing because the George Floyd protests. Uh-huh unleash spontaneous riots and discontent so the george floyd protests might not have been black lives matter at all right that's another thing like right. are well, they really like, black lives matter right. where they it, just it was, labeled that in a- it was opportunistically captured right. so and and so right. then what did you get out of it you got two two calls one was the abolish the police call and the other was to uh-huh. defund, defund the police. <clears throat> and I don't know where those calls uh-huh. came from exactly, but they neither of them were sensible demands in that moment, I don't think. The defund the police seemed more centrist, but in fact... Someone like Bernie Sanders even would say, well, actually, we probably need to professionalize the police rather than defund the police if we want to address the problems. Simply defund them. And you might need to give them more funding to professionalize them adequately. Exactly. Do you need more funding for the even. police? For the, yeah, exactly. Right. So so, right. um, so to defund the police was not a serious reformist demand. <clears throat> and abolish the police had a lot more potential, I thought, but it on its own more anarchist yeah on its own it was just a empty demand right um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's an impossibilist oh, demand right overall though it's worth noting that the democrats in their own in leaked documents have said that they assessed that the black lives matter movement was an asset in their pocket against trump favor yeah um, yeah so, makes okay. trump look bad Right, and and they even right. had ran like scenarios where if Trump tried to resist the election results, they would deploy Black Lives Matter as a pressure tactic. Um, right, which is different. You're not going to be able to deploy the George Floyd protesters exactly, but you might be able to deploy the activists who would be more associated with Black Lives Matter. Yeah, and you might be able to 
deployed. Yeah. Uh, 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 you might be able to deploy a whole lot of people who sh showed up and kept the Black Lives Matter protests going in places Absolutely. like Portland. Yeah. So my experience right, so, here, mm -hmm. I don't know how mm -hmm, how different uh, it is in Portland from Chicago, but in Chicago, the DSA was there. I I feel you know mm -hmm. when I was looking at like college age white kids in the George Floyd protests, and not just white white but basically white, Latino, Asian, whatever, not mm -hmm. black. Uh, I was thinking, who are these people, right? And some of it was quote-unquote spontaneous, but I felt like a lot of them were DSA-ish, DSA orbit. You know, in other words, people who would be like left-wing Democrats, basically. In other words, that they were the people who would be canvassing for progressive aldermen candidates and progressive mayoral candidates right they would be that you know they but kind of bernie crat if not dsa right mm -hmm. young people um and you know and i felt like okay so this is organized really right in other words these people didn't just meet on the street today you know mm -hmm. um in other words they're people who would have been behind like the election of our like uh reform state's attorney that came out of um, the Laquan McDonald killing. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so, you know, you know, there, the election of the new state's attorney. Um, so I felt like, okay, these people are, are activists prior to this. Mm -hmm. They're not people who were not, activists you know before this these are people who are activists before this so now that's different from like i don't know the ghetto riot aspect because obviously people thought that it's like the la riots of 1992 or like the the ghetto riots of the 60s right there was this kind of idea and it's like okay well that happened that definitely did happen also in the george floyd protests um, and then there was, of course, the other element, which was that there were organized gang looting, right, of high-end boutique shops to steal things for resale. So I think that, you know, the left, and there are many reasons for this over a long period of time, has a kind of romanticized notion of the dictatorship of the proletariat. Um, I think it doesn't help that, like, the Paris Commune is invoked. Right. Um, so we get this kind of 19th century kind of misère, wretched of the earth, you know, les miserables kind mm -hmm. of view of the dictatorship of the proletariat. Um, and, and of course, you know, that is a way of avoiding the issue of like Stalinism and the issue of Bolshevism and Lenin and the, you know, Bolshevik Party and the October Revolution. Although that can also be assimilated to that. So there's a kind of left communist or anarchist view. And then there's a kind of a Stalinist or a Trotskyist view, you know, kind of a Leninist view. Mm -hmm. And either say, well, it's like the masses as opposed to the party. Or you could say, well, but the party led this revolution that was the masses and that was, you know, the wretched of the earth and the poor and downtrodden. 
and the most oppressed and look at women in in the revolution etc and after all didn't the Russian revolution break out on international women's day in february of 1917 so it's just obviously we can't say dictatorship of the proletariat without thinking of the russian revolution and the subsequent history of the soviet union mm -hmm. and well, because of that there are just many layers of confusion i think that have developed well, one of the things that was said in the, to go back to the Patreon conversation was, it, it, first of all, the, the the major objection was that the convoy was right wing in character, and I and I think that I wouldn't dispute that there were people who were white right wing, who were doing a lot of the organizing, and a lot of right wing tropes and ideas about like global reset, um, you know, was a part of the milieu. Um, but the other thing that I remember someone said is that, you know, we have to be, I don't remember the context exactly. So I may be misrepresenting this, but we have to be, um, sensitive to people's pain and, you know, responding to people's pain and, and, uh, the convoy, because it was about bodily autonomy and resistance to lockdowns, I think, in the background, but it was mostly about the vaccine mandate. Vaccines, yeah. Right. It mm -hmm. wasn't. It was a vaccine mandate they were objecting to directly, but they were also, it was a critique of the lockdown overall, right, which the vaccine mm -hmm. mandate was sort of a part of. Um, that wasn't a response to people's pain. Um, right. In people's minds. And, and putting the trucker convoy aside, because maybe I'm wrong, maybe it was, much more right wing than I think, and I I'm just being unnecessarily contrarian to talk about it still. Um, but this idea of the the socialist movement being about organizing those who are in pain. What do you what do you mm -hmm. make of that, Chris? Right. So I think there are a couple of things. So there's like protests. There's like revolution the idea that people have a revolution which i think is basically they think that a revolution is just a very massive protest mm -hmm. you know it's a protest that's so big and so loud that i don't know the government is just spooked and runs away or something right that's what they think revolution is <clears throat> now what you're talking about is like you know more like organization you know, like the movement. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, because again, like the trucker convoy was organized. It was in that sense of movement. You know, they mm -hmm. planned it. Uh, it was a planned, deliberate action. And there have been contemporaneous and subsequent and more recent, you know, the like farmer protests mm -hmm. in Europe, right? Um that also seem to be, are they right wing because they're against these like regulations that are like supposedly in the interest of climate, climate control, we can call it climate control, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Global warming. Um, you know, we're turning on the AC in our car, climate control, <laughs> which burns more gas. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know, and the farmers, that would be your classic petty bourgeois, right? Um, and, you know, so the yellow vests, do you remember the yellow vests? Yeah, I brought them up in too. France. And I, and I ended right? up the picking question. the yellow vests. I thought they were 
that was a working class movement. I, I thought. Yeah, they don't get they don't get the negative reputation that the trucker convoy in Canada gets. Or I'm not sure that people have exactly called the farmer protests right wing. The trucker convoy, they definitely did. And maybe it does, you know, we can't leave aside the fact that it might have to do with the pandemic. Right. In other words, that the left decided that they were the ultra lockdown, ultra vaccine people. For the most part, there were some leftists who were who were more civil libertarian. But the left generally were their criticism was that the lockdowns and the vaccine mandates weren't strong enough. Right. And that somehow it's because the capitalists demanded that people keep working that they weren't strong enough. Right? That it was capitalist profit motive that was keeping from a total lockdown. Right? And total vaccine mandate. You know, that the capitalists weren't going to let a small thing like vaccination get in the way of exploiting workers. Right? So, um, for example, so I think that that it's hard to disentangle the reputation of the trucker convoy from the occasion of it. Meaning that's probably why people called it right wing too. And then they were like, well, who's, who's protesting vaccination? Oh, it's these straight white guys, right? If it had been all queer women, people of color protesting against vaccine mandates, the left may not have been so quick to call it right wing. Right. Right. But they couldn't have been. And of course, there were people of color. There were like people of color, right. truckers, like a large contingent of it, right? But people just ignored that, right? And but right, right. but it couldn't. It couldn't have been all queer women only, queer black women only. That 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 wouldn't have. You couldn't have organized that around just that one. What idea. I'm saying is, let's say by an accident of history, mm-hmm. truckers in Canada were all like Native American, BIPOC, whatever, Asian, what what have you, in the Canadian racial landscape, not white people. Let's mm-hmm. say, and let's say just by accident of history, it turns out that truckers are disproportionately women, and we know that those bulldagger lesbians love their trucks, and so they're also queer. Let's just mm-hmm. say that the, the counterfactual, right? Um, you know? And uh, so if they had said, hell no, I'm not taking that vaccine, it's big pharma pumping shit into my body, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe the left would have paused for a second before calling it right wing, but they might have said, oh, well, these people are being duped by a right wing agenda, the anti-vaccine agenda, right? Mm-hmm. Or something like that, right? Or being yeah. used, right? You know, because that's what they did with the women and queers and people of color in the trucker convoy they just said well they're the, they're the dupes of the straight white fascist reactionary anti-vaxxers yeah and that never did make any sense to me that to be opposed to the vaccine mandate or opposed even just to vaccines in general was somehow right wing it, it didn't it didn't seem to me to be oh, it's backward wise. it's backward it's ignorant it's conspiracy theory because a lot of people of color, like here in Chicago, right, mm-hmm. the vaccine uptake was, you know, lower among people of color. It was. Sure. And mm-hmm. the explanation that the left had was, well, this is you know, backwardness, A, like they're misinformed, uneducated, 
or right it's because well people of color are rightfully suspicious of the government and of big pharma because mm -hmm. tuskegee or whatever right right yeah that's um, that's the one i so would they... usually go with the tuskegee thing right? <laughs> right and i'm like um you know i mean whereas it's kind of like that doesn't matter none of that matters really because it's kind of like okay so people are resisting the vaccines for whatever reason I mean, you're on the West Coast, so there's already an anti-vaccine movement that predates COVID that's more kind of left-oriented, more yeah, like hippie. crunchy, hippie, mm -hmm. progressive, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I kind of feel like really, you know, that doesn't matter. The reasons for it don't matter. The question is, should people have the right? Right. Right. Like mm -hmm. just a basic civil libertarian. It doesn't matter what the rationale is, but the left loves your thought control. They do. They they love they love your thought control, your reeducation. They love this shit, right? In other words, for them, it does matter what the reason is. You know, it matters like who you are, and then it also matters what the reason is, and then the relation between those is where the left will come up with some specious like social being and consciousness kind of argument. Right. And so basically, like the truckers might be like oppressed, exploited, miserably, you know, disadvantaged people who have to like, you know, take drugs to stay awake over the long haul. Yeah, that's true. Right. But they're straight white men. And so, yeah, you know, doesn't that like count against them? You know, it's just this kind of crazy rubric. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, and I've been reading the the strange death of American exceptionalism and finding things out through reading that and then investigating some of the things that he talks about in that book, which, by the way, people should check that out. It's coming. And, um, you know, Jack all of Ross. that. Yeah, Jack Ross's book. Um, but, you know, one of the things about that is that it, it that the intersectionality um, mm -hmm. of Kimberly Crenshaw was matched up mm -hmm. with um what was it called the the it was basically a form of counseling that came out of um Scientology and oh. it was about expressing your distress and trauma in a sort of Oh like that also is Solinsky though too. That's also Solinsky rules for radicals. Oh okay maybe so but but this but this yeah, particular testifying to your traumatic experience. But Scientology, right. of course, has that too. I mean, really, all cults have that. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Well, the, but and the, the left, was, the left does do that. Right. Well, but the idea was that in in this case, in this form of counseling, reevaluation counseling, um, oh, which Robin Dianal, Ryan, Robin D'Angelo, was a member of the reevaluation counseling institute. Um, really? Yes. So, the whole point was the therapeutic effect and the great transformation of society would come about through the expression and and uh release of distress which when with not expressed would remain within the body and, and this is why we should this is why we should always be suspicious skeptical of any kind of you know radical psychology or radical therapy, psychotherapy. We really should be, right? In other yeah. words, like, 
yes, it's all well and good. You know, there were these people in the 30s around Wilhelm Reich and around Freud more generally who did like radical psychotherapy. But that ain't what we're talking about now in the post-World <laughs> War II era. No, I'm just thinking of like The Master, the movie The Master. Yeah, you know, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Creepy movie. Oh, it's good. You should see it. Philip Seymour mm. Huffman, no? Oh, I, I'm a fan. That one. Yeah, and it's um, it's a good movie. Like it's a, it's an art film. Like it's a serious movie, serious film, mm. and um, and it's it's dark, you know, and it is about how the '60s were prefigured already in the '40s. Like in other words, coming out of World War II. You know, uh, a kind of traumatized generation, really, the war generation. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, because those are the people that he takes advantage of straight away. And I think what Joachim Phoenix is in that film as well as like a follower mm -hmm. of L. Ron Hubbard. Right. Um, so he's like the messed up follower. You know, he's like mm -hmm. the prototypical like cult member. Right. Who's like basically, you know, subjective therapy you know um and you know it just it like i said it's a particular case but it seems to imply like the film certainly presents it as implying what comes later mm -hmm. you know in terms of the counterculture and radical psychology and that kind of thing yeah you know? and but but i think now we can get to the dictatorship of the proletariat because when you i think when you don't have something like the political aim of taking political power for workers on the basis of their being workers, mm -hmm. you may end up with other forms of uh, expression of discontent, other ways to understand and deal with discontent. Right. And, right. and again, that's what Jack right. Ross's book is largely about, was all the different ways that religious people, particularly, mm -hmm. but also political movements, mm -hmm. dealt with discontent and tried to theorize through it in various ways. Um, so it's worth... I mean, this is why the yeah. dictatorship... Go ahead. Right. This is why the dictatorship of the proletariat is not a big protest, right? It's not like mm -hmm. a radical assembly, um, mm -hmm. like 1848 style, you know, or like Paris Commune style. Um, you know, it's really meant to be... I mean, again, what... Marxism thought was important about the Paris Commune is that it looked like a revolutionary form of government. And that's why Engels and Marx could say, well, if you want to know what the dictatorship of the proletariat looks like, it looks like, in their view, it looks like the Paris Commune. And that's different from like uh, Auguste Blanqui vision of the dictatorship of the proletariat, which might have been some kind of revolutionary dictatorship that's like an emergency regime that's meant to open the door to the workers' social civil action, mm -hmm. right? So Blancism has that character, and also Bakunin also has something along those lines in terms of, like, the kind of invisible dictatorship, right, of, like, conscious people who are not putting themselves forward as leaders but are facilitating a kind of radical, kind of more grassroots kind of democracy. I think that that's you know, more than the idea of like a spontaneous uprising and like, I don't know what we got out of Occupy, like a spontaneous uprising and the form of organization that it sort of crystallizes somewhat spontaneously in and of itself, mm -hmm. right? Like that kind of idea. 
So, because the dictatorship of the proletariat, I mean, uh, you know, my article kind of starts with the idea that this is the most controversial aspect of Marxism, and it is. And so it's really the theory of the transition, right? In other words, that there has to be a transitional phase between capitalism and communism or between capitalism and socialism, even. Um, you know, lower stage communism or socialism and then higher stage or full communism. But you need a transition. You can't jump to that. I think that's extremely controversial, actually, because people are like, well, why can't we have communism now? You know, people had communism in primitive communism in the Paleolithic era. You know, it looks like whenever the people get together, they spontaneously do communism. And so why do we need this transitional phase? And isn't this the phase of the dominance of the coordinator class, you know, like Michael Albert mm -hmm. kind of idea, right? Mm -hmm. So the anarchists are deeply suspicious of this. Of course, liberals are also suspicious of this. Right, that the the theory of the transition and the idea of the dictatorship of the proletariat that comes from that seems like oh, it's really the dictatorship of the party or the dictatorship of the intellectuals. It's not. It's a dictatorship over the proletariat, or it's a dictatorship that uses the proletariat as like shock troops or cannon fodder. But really, it's not the dictatorship of the proletariat at all. And so I feel like what gets lost, and then you can, on the other end, you could say the people who take up the dictatorship of the proletariat tend to blunt it and say, oh, well, it's just radical democracy. That's all that's meant. It means like the democratic preponderance of the working class. And that's what the dictatorship of the proletariat means, right? It doesn't mean like a dictatorship of a group or a party. It's of the class, and since the class is the majority of people, then it's really just radical democracy. Okay. And I feel like neither of these really capture the original like Marx and Marx and Engels vision of it, nor Lenin's vision of it, or the more broadly Marxism's vision of it. You know, the vision that Luxembourg, Rosa Luxembourg would have had as well as Lenin. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's the hard part. So we have a lot of like intervening history with layers of confusion and taboos. And we have the specter of the Soviet Union. We have the specter of other communist uh, experiments in the 20th century, we might say. Um, the Maoists resuscitate the dictatorship of the proletariat idea in the Cultural Revolution, the Great Proletarian Cultural Revolution. Right. There's the Shanghai Commune, which is a kind of like attempt to establish the dictatorship of the proletariat in China in the 60s, right, in the late 60s. Um, and I feel like getting back to it, really what we have is a kind of a negative idea by Marx and Engels. In other words, like a, an idea of a necessity, like what is the necessity of the dictatorship of the proletariat, if we put it that way, as opposed to, okay, what does this look like? What is the program? What is the vision? Mm -hmm. How is this going to be the answer, the solution? And it's mm -hmm. not that. It's more like, what are the uh, preconditions for a transition from capitalism to socialism? What are the political preconditions for that? What, 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 what's the political condition for being able to affect that change? That's what's meant. And therefore, it's, it's a negative characterization because it's like, what is necessary? What are the necessary conditions that need to be met 
in order to be able to do transform capitalism into socialism, if we were to put it in traditional logical terms. Now, right? you just mentioned the anarchist vision of what this was or how um, mm -hmm. Bakunin or this Blancas mm -hmm. version. And it sounds to me like probably when I think about the dictatorship of the proletariat, this is really how I think the Bakunin uh -huh. version. I, not, not on purpose, but, you know, reflexively or something. Spontaneously. So, yeah. yeah. I think, okay, the, the proletariat take political power. Um, they dominate the state, subdue it, and then are given the freedom to transform production and set mm. up new terms mm -hmm. of production, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then through that process, this transition, they will overcome the commodity form and set up some other yeah. basis for uh, production and exchange and in the process abolish their own position in society by being by no longer being the source of value in society that's that's how i right. think of it right is that right it, it's, is that the bakunist version or is that marxist or is there something i'm missing no, that's there? the marxist idea that is the marxist idea and you know what's interesting is i've had this long-standing dialogue with um this guy mike mcnair of the cpgb the communist party of great britain Mm -hmm. And um, he basically says about the critique of the Gotha program, which I think is very important, and certainly Lenin and Rosa Luxemburg thought were very important, um, that he thinks it's it's a plagiarism of Bakunin, hmm. that Marx is just plagiarizing Bakunin, and that even his critique of Lasallianism is plagiarized from Bakunin. And I thought, well, not really, you know, because after all, Bakunin doesn't believe in this transitional state and doesn't really believe in the dictatorship of the proletariat. Later, anarcho-syndicalists um, like Malatesta and others, um, they basically say, well, industrial production requires a dictatorship of the proletariat per se. And that's unfortunate, like to their mind. There's something hinky about that, but nonetheless, we can't undo capitalist industry. And so there's something about industrial production that requires a dictatorship of the proletariat per se. And their answer to that is anarcho-syndicalism. And we syndicalism means like the syndical, the syndicates, the unions, right? And you also get, this is why it's related to more like council communism or left communism or like worker communism, is that it has a syndicalistic idea, which is that not the party, but the workers' own organizations, right? Um, labor unions, right? Fundamentally, that's the idea, um, which is a different, in other words, they, they, they anarcho-syndicalists recognize not just like Paris Commune, but more like labor unions being in charge politically, which is more specific, right? So not like radical democracy, but mediated through labor unions as um, units of economic, you know, organization of production. Well, right. My, okay. So what would your problem be with that idea? The syndicalist idea? What would the oh, Marxist version? Be? Because, um, Right. So Marxists are, you know, going back to Marx and Engels, although, of course, they use the word party a little bit differently than later Marxists do, like Kautsky or Babel or Luxembourg or Lenin. Um, but they do prioritize the party. And the reason is, is that the party is the social 
the meeting place of all the various ways that the workers organize themselves. Meaning workers have labor unions, but they also have consumer cooperatives and they have other kinds of civil social organizations. They have youth organizations, women's organizations. They have other kinds of organizations, not just labor unions, collective bargaining units. Mm. Right. And so the party is where all of that comes together. All the various working class self-organization comes together, the party. Um and so where it comes from is the idea, it really comes out of 1848, and it comes out of the idea that the workers were the left wing of the democratic revolution. Mm-hmm. That they were going to pull democracy to the left, that they were going to be the most radical democratic, and they were going to be the most, they're going to be the democratic people politically who were most concerned with the social question, and they're by the proletariat, the proletarianized condition of the working class, unemployment, these kinds of concerns, right? Mm-hmm. That comes up in the... 1848, the national workshops, right? The the state putting the unemployed to work where private industry could not. Um, and so they have this idea going into 1848 in the manifesto. But then after 1848, the experience of Bonapartism leads them to, and you know, Bismarck has a famous statement that's also understood by Marx and Engels as a Bonapartist statement, which is that. Great assemblies and fine speeches won't solve the urgent political questions of the day, but only blood and iron. Mm It's the blood and iron speech. And, you know, my point, somewhat provocatively, is that Marx and Engels agreed, meaning it is going to come down to force. It's going to come down to politics in that sense, state force, coercive force, Um, not necessarily violence, but at least the threat of violence, force. And that the workers have to exercise that. In other words, that there's going to be a split in the democratic movement. um, And that the workers and the bourgeoisie are going to be divided. The proletariat is going to be divided from the bourgeoisie in terms of the course of the democratic revolution. So that means that the workers have to be organized ahead of time, beforehand, to be able to exercise their dictatorship. And of course, the notion of dictatorship that Marx and Engels have is from ancient Rome, the ancient Roman Republic, where the dictator is elected. And the dictator is elected to exercise emergency measures to get a job done, right? And so in this case, the job is liquidating capitalism. Mm -hmm. And the dictator that's elected is not a person, but a party, or maybe a coalition of parties. Right. In other words, it's the kind of advanced, most organized, most class conscious proletariat. Mm-hmm. Right. But ultimately a socialist party. Right. So rather than the left wing of the Democratic Party, small d Democratic Party, it's going to be a proletarian socialist party. Mm-hmm. And again, their idea of the party is a little bit different because later the Day in Germany and the broader Second International, they have like more thoroughly organized parties where the party is not just the meeting place of these organizations, but also the party can become the source of these organizations. Like the party can, the, can itself organize these things in the different domains of civil society. You know, so we've mm-hmm. talked about that before, how the Socialist Party of America set up the ACLU. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the ACLU was like, Oh, you know, it's like the free speech people coming together and then looking around, what's the party that's going to represent us? No, it was the Socialist Party saying, 
how do we get broader support for free speech rights? Well, we'll set up this thing called the ACLU, where you don't have to be a member of the Socialist Party, but we're leading it. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 So when that happens, then the party takes on a different character. And that's where you get the vanguard party idea, which is another vexed idea. It's like, okay, vanguardism, right? And it's like, well, the party's not actually supposed to be the vanguard. It's supposed to be the party that the vanguard needs. So the idea is that the vanguard is the working class. The working class is the vanguard of democracy and of social democracy and democratic revolution, democratic aspirations of the people. The workers are in the leading edge of that struggle, and they need a party of their own. So it's a party of the vanguard, not the party itself being the vanguard. Mm -hmm. However, as it turns out, once that party is established, then the party does take on a vanguard role. Again, it starts leading the, the struggle for women's rights, for example. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but again, ahead, like this is before you have a revolution, right? It's just a, a leading role in the civil social organizing, mm-hmm. right? Like not just a coordinating, facilitating role, not some alternative democracy to the official bourgeois capitalist state mm-hmm. democracy. So it's not like, okay, this is going to be like the workers assembly as opposed to the like the Soviet, the Workers' Council, as opposed to the bourgeois parliament. It's not that. It's civil social organizing. Um, And again, that's where it's kind of like, well, it starts to look like, oh, don't you mean a party dictatorship then? And it's like, but it's not really meant to be that either. It's supposed to alphabung, sublate, all these things that came up in the 19th century. Right? The Lasallian, like, um, kind of mass democratic movement party, mm-hmm. and the Bakuninite, like, social action mutual aid society, mm-hmm. and the Blancist, like, military, we need to knock out the state and its repressive bodies of armed men so that the people can be free to take power. Like, Marxism is meant to sublate, take up all those things. That appear to be alternatives, but their idea is that they're all expressing aspects of this necessity, this task. Mm-hmm. Right? That, that there are different levels, different aspects, different dimensions of this common task of what what kind of a political and social revolution is necessary to get out of capitalism. So I always like to say Marx and Engels are not original. Mm-hmm. They appropriate, we might say, they take up what seems to have developed spontaneously in the 19th century in terms of the movement. And then when the Paris Commune happens, they're like, oh yeah, we'll take that too, (laughs) right? So they Mm -hmm. take on a kind of Proudhonian and Bakuninite kind of mutual aid society kind of civil social framework. They take on a kind of Chartist, like uh, universal suffrage, radical democracy, but also based in labor unions. Mm -hmm. They take up labor union organizing that isn't terribly political, that is like economic in character. Mm -hmm. And they also take up a kind of blanqui kind of like, but you got to knock out the capitalist state too. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And you have to be like organized in a disciplined and military way. I mean, Marx and Engels are very militaristic in their approach to the 1848 revolution in Germany, for example. Mm -hmm. 
like a, their their entire conception of that revolution is almost completely militarized you know <laughs> it's like where do the armed workers need to strike now you know and how do you organize them effectively as an army you know mm-hmm. um but then they take up the paris commune too mm-hmm. so they basically feel that the 19th century is the time when the working class is learning through all these experiments all the different things it has to do to be able to overcome capitalism. Mm-hmm. The 20th century is the unraveling of that and the division. So you're either like a party vanguard type person or you're like a Paris Commune radical democracy person or you're a radical syndicalist, right? Yeah, so setting setting all these parts that were trying to come together in the 19th century back against into their each separate, other. Yeah. yeah, against each other and back in their separate right. corners. But but right. when it comes to like a you've got a party and it's forming something like the ACLU, right? Um I mean now I can mm-hmm. see where the ACLU is today, which uh not that great an organization. It it's certainly lost sight of its mission, I think, and especially lately. Right. But what is right. to distinguish the kinds of uh, civil society organizations that a party, a socialist party might want to create from the NGOs that are being generated today in civil society. Right. Right. No, it's tricky, right? So people hear civil society and they think NGO. They think NGO industrial complex. Mm-hmm. And that's where I feel like, well, okay, yes. But actually, I mean, this is the provocative point because I'm always in the back of my mind and certainly in the recent like Gaza war I have in mind, like Hamas. And like, well, Sorry, the um, the left's positive orientation towards Islamism, right? So that was back in the Iranian Revolution, but also subsequently, like the um, the kind of Tony Cliff follower type uh, Trotskyists had a positive orientation towards the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, mm-hmm. for example, right? And I just think, okay, what are you doing, man? Like, what what why are you doing that? And it's because, like, the bottom line for them is, well, Muslim Brotherhood might be Islamist, might be religious, but look at what they're doing on the ground. Look at how they're organizing the working class. Look at how they're organizing the people in all these various ways. And so the analogy is less the neoliberal private outsourcing NGO industrial complex where you get, like, I don't know, basically contractors instead of government bureaucrats doing things. It's more like religious organizations. Now, the funny thing is, is that in the United States also, like the thousand points of light, right? Mm -hmm. George Herbert Walker Bush from back in our day also turned churches into some kind of NGO outsource privatized government kind of function too, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But, But looking at it more like Egypt, you know, which has like an Arab nationalist kind of regimes, you know, militantly secular and even, you know, military kind of regime. And then what's excluded from that is taken up by the Muslim Brotherhood Mm -hmm. in terms of like civil society, especially civil society, not like, you know, bourgeois civil society or capitalist civil society, not like the cocktail party circuit or something. But like the people, right? Um, the masses, the downtrodden, the poor, 
right? Who's doing that? Who's doing the mutual aid self-organizing um, for the people? The Muslim Brotherhood, right? And I'm like, yeah, you know, the Socialist Party has to be like that. And I think that's how you get the left embracing, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood and their Palestinian offshoot, the Hamas, because Hamas comes out of the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood. That's exactly where they come from. And so it looks like, oh, but, you know, it doesn't matter what this ideology is. Look at how they're organizing the people and look at how they're serving the people. Mm. You know, it's a little bit, you know, Black Panthers serve the people kind of thing. And again, it looks like, and the Black Panthers are very self-conscious, by the way. They're very self-conscious. They knew the history of um, the socialist movement and Marxism. They looked at, like, Austro-Marxism. They looked at Jewish Bundism as their models mm -hmm. for, like, self-organizing the Black working class, the way the Bund organized the Jewish working class in the Tsarist Russian Empire. And they looked at Austro-Marxism. They looked at, like, non-territorial self-determination, mm -hmm. right? They're very self-conscious about all these things. And again, it was plausible. And the left will point to them and they'll say, well, see, they, you know, were doing this kind of, you know, at least incipient attempt at organizing people. The Socialist Party would have to do that. But again, the question is, for what purpose? In other words, the purpose of all of that, at least in the minds of Marxists before World War One, and that includes Rosa Luxemburg and Lenin, mm -hmm. The purpose is to have all of this, they call it the school for revolution, meaning all of that has no value in and of itself. Its purpose mm -hmm. is to train the working class to be able to become a government governing authority in the dictatorship of the proletariat. In other words, the dictatorship of the proletariat is supposed to be about all those things. It isn't like a vanguard party with military discipline that does a knockout of the regime and just inserts itself as the course of state authority. Mm. It's also supposed to be the civil social organizing, right? <laughs> because mm. without that, you're never going to overcome capitalism, actually. And in the Soviet Union, what happened was through the Civil War, and not just the Civil War, but really the deep degradation of social conditions, the civil social basis of the Bolshevik party was completely eviscerated. And you just were left with like the whole support structure, the whole civil social structure kind of vanished. And you just had this kind of like commissar bureaucracy. And then, and then they tried to reconstitute it. And in reconstituting it, they just created a kind of mass bureaucratic apparatus, like the party state. <laughs> So they kind of lost the basis of the dictatorship of the proletariat and then tried to reconstitute it, but they didn't come back with the dictatorship of the proletariat. They came back with the bureaucratic dictatorship. So what, what and people just see the straight line there. Without seeing the, yeah. What did they lose? What kinds of civil social institutions that were part of the party were knocked out? And what, what was so vital about those aspects of revolutionary party? Well, the unions... The unions, the youth organizations, the women's organizations, all these things got like literally liquidated, meaning that they became like the basis for recruiting people and sending them to the front line in this in the Civil War. You know, it's like the, the former women's organization all picked up machine guns and were put on a train out to rural Russia to fight the white army. And then they were all killed, of course. <laughs> 
like but you know because you know in the civil war like the casualty ratio right is like unbelievably slanted right so the white army loses some people and the red army loses everybody right like um and it's literally like that like the unions right the socialist unions it's like well we're fighting a civil war and so it's like well, you know, we're not able to get any raw materials for this factory production anyway. So we all jump on a train with rifles to people who were socialists before the revolution get killed mm. in the civil war, basically. I mean, it's literally the case, <laughs> you know? And and, and in, insofar as it's not just a, a, a mass extermination of people, the organizations are broken down and they become more reliant on the central governmental authority and on a kind of bureaucratic authority to persist. You know? Okay. Yeah. I think I understand all that. Um, so to go back to Hamas um, and the mm -hmm. Muslim Brotherhood, um, there, there's nothing particularly wrong with the way the Muslim Brotherhood uh, participates in civil society and provides those kinds of services. I mean, obviously, they're based on it's based on a kind of radical fundamentalist Islam, like it, you know, all sorts of moral criteria in a way that a socialist movement would not be. In other words, a socialist movement might have to deal with conservative social conditions, but it wouldn't be promulgating them, right? Actively. Okay. Right? So, like, when, for example, yeah, so like when I, what, on the one hand, I feel like the left Muslim right now, Brotherhood has women's organizations, right? They have women's organizations the way the old Socialist Party did. But the old Socialist Party had women's organizations because it was literally illegal for men and women to meet in the same public space, even, no, even in the United States. You know, and whereas they're like, well, the secular Arab nationalist regime mixes up the sexes, but we want to segregate them. And so they have separate women's organizations because that's the Muslim way. Right. Right. So it's kind of the reverse. Um, but but at a broader level, no. And that's why, you know, that that example is pretty stark and I use it provocatively. I mean, the other thing is like when Israel claims it wants to destroy Hamas and Gaza, it's like, OK, well, what does that mean? Because after all, it is this thing. Right. It's a military organization, but it is a civil social organization, too. And where do you draw the line between them? And so it sounds like. To destroy Hamas and Gaza, you have to kill a lot of civilians because, after all, aren't they Hamas supporters? Right. I right. Know. And it's like, look. Yeah. In a part know? in a country where there's only one party and everyone's a member, what do you mean right. if you, you want to get rid of the Communist Party and the Soviet Union? What does that mean? Right. 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 Thing? right. Yeah. Or the Baptist so, Party in Iraq when the U.S. invaded. Right. When they right. basically said we're dissolving the Baptist Party and you're shut out of public life if you were a member of the Baptist Party. And it's like, but everyone was in the Baptist Party because that was required. Right. right. So, so I just people, yeah. I just note that like on the one hand, I've got a I'm dealing with people on the left who will absolutely oppose the trucker convoy and mm -hmm. will embrace Hamas. And mm -hmm. um trucker convoy is right wing. Hamas is it's probably pretty thin and superficial. In other words, they're just thinking, well, Hamas is attacking the Zionist, settler, colonialist, white supremacist, Jewish state. And so we like that. And the trucker convoy is protesting against vaccines. We don't like that. And 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 but, 
and the more liberal or left-wing administration in Canada. Yeah, a progressive administration or something. I mean, I don't know. You could recast the trucker convoy as opposing the Canadian settler colonial estate, couldn't you? Right. I don't, I don't know. Um, why I don't think so. Right. <laughs> Unlikely. Right. But, you know, but, 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 okay, so what I would say, though, is that the major difference between them is that the trucker convoy is a single-issue workers' movement expressing mm-hmm. discontent about mm-hmm. a state policy. Right. The right. It's a protest movement. Right. right. Whereas, the, whereas the Muslim Brotherhood is a political force. It's a party. It's a... It's, it's a it wants directly, to make an Islamic revolution. Right. In other words, directly the competing reason with whatever kind of independent socialist movement we'd want to make. It is not. That's right. It's not something we right. can take up and say, okay, you want to protest against the vaccine mandates? We are right. with you. And let, come right. into our party. We'll help you organize it. Yeah. Right. No, you couldn't do that with, uh, with the Muslim brotherhood. Right. Unless you want to be subverted right. and taken over by them. You know? So... Anyway, right. I mean, hypothetically, you could say that um, maybe a socialist party would have, but again, it gets back into Bundism, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously, there was anti, there was official anti-Semitism in Tsarist Russia that discriminated against people religiously, and so you could say, well, under those conditions, people have to be organized separately. So, you know, if we were living under, you know, in a situation where there was legal segregation, you might have to have separate organizations, you know, so you might need, I don't know, if they, which they didn't really do, like the Arab nationalist state in Egypt didn't do a kind of like stigmatization of Islam exactly, you know, officially. I mean, they did implicitly, but not explicitly. But if you did do that, you might say, oh, well, the people who are stigmatized by the government need to be able to organize we need to get around these laws or something, you know? Mm. Um, and I mean, interestingly, the Socialist Party of America refused to organize on segregated lines, despite the fact that, of course, it was a legal impediment in various places. Um, so it's a curious, you know, I would say the reason I bring it up, the reason I bring up that is that if we look around now, like why it's not the NGO industrial complex. And like mm-hmm. I said, with the caveat that we know from the thousand points of light and neoliberalism that even religious organizations have been turned into part of the NGO industrial complex, but it would look more like religion than it would look like NGOs, mm-hmm. right? It would look more like self-organized, subcultural that way, mm-hmm. you know? So like the interesting thing about the Socialist Party in Germany, for example, before World War One, but also like in a place like France, is that you could spend your whole life in the party's orbit, right? Like you would be hired, like the workers were so organized in unions that you wouldn't be hired directly by your employer. You'd be hired by the union. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's like a temp agency, kind of. Like a temp agency, right. Uh, it's called the union hiring hall. And there's still some, there is still some unions that are like, I think that the electrical workers union can be like that. You go to the union and then they assign you to an employer. Mm-hmm. Right. That'd be good. I think and people so, would like that. Don't you think that sounds good? Yeah. It's much <laughs> better than what we have now. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. Although of course it's, you know, it's, it's half a step away from racketeering, which is how the capitalist state attacks it. Right. On liberal democratic grounds. Right. 
Um, so it's, uh, but again, people could spend their whole life in the socialist world, right? In other words, you go to a socialist organized, union organized job, and then you come home and you go to the socialist sports league. And after that, you go to the socialist music ensemble. And then after that, you go to the socialist tavern. I mean, really, and, 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 you know, like, let's, let's be like, androcentric and patriarchal and your wife right goes to the socialist women's club right people live their whole life in the socialist world mm-hmm. and why did they do that not because people thought oh that's good in and of itself it's like no this is how the working class organizes itself to be able to be the state after the revolution If you enjoyed this conversation, please do consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons help to make sure that Sublation Media can continue to provide interviews, videos, books, and articles that are critical of the left from the left. If you are tired of remaining stuck within bourgeois ideologies and politics, help us sublate them both.